following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. All right, good morning, Faith Bible Church. My name is Morgan Maitland. I used to be the youth pastor here at FBC. I am now the teaching pastor at Summit Bible Church in Fontana. Some fans of Fontana. Not a lot of those, but... uh, Hey, we are doing well. Thank you for praying for us, our family, our church. We are doing really well, and I'm just so grateful for the roots that I have here at Faith Bible Church. I mean, coming back to visit the alma mater is a big deal for me. And so I'm just so thankful for you. And you're constantly on my mind and on my heart and in my prayer. So I love this church, love your leaders. They have made massive impact in my life. You know, a lot of people have asked, you know, hey, Morgan, how's your church going? Are you growing? And to that I respond, we're growing by at least one because we had a baby uh, on Friday, Andrew James Maitland. So, there he is. He was born on Friday, nine pounds, five ounces, big baby. Um, So, we have at least one new member of Summit Bible Church, so we're very encouraged, and things are going well. Things are going well, so glad to be here. Well, the date was April 18th, 1521. The location, Worms. Germany. The occasion, a German monk stood trial before the Holy Roman Emperor and other religious elites. The charge, heresy. The monk taught and wrote against the Catholic Church. He taught and wrote a biblical salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. The monk's books were laid out in front of him. And the question from the diet was direct, and it was simple. Do you, Martin Luther, recant your teachings in these books? Many don't know this, but it took Martin Luther 24 hours to give his final defense. There were massive ramifications for his response. If he were to stand up against the Roman Catholic Church. It could cost him his life. But finally, Martin Luther came back before the Diet, stood before them and said, I will speak clearly. Unless I am convinced by sacred scripture or by evident reason, I cannot recant. My conscience is held captive by the Word of God. To act against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. May God help me. Christian, will you stand? Will you stand in Christ and on the Word of God against any and all attacks? What about when your freedom is on the line? What about your, when your comforts are on the line? What about when your life is on the line? Will you stand 
for Christ. You know, a lot of us like to think, well, yeah, when that day comes, I will stand. You know, when the big trial hits, when we're tested in our faith, when the persecution comes to our doorstep, then, yeah, I I will stand. And that's a nice thought. I hope that you would. But Christian, you have to understand, this is war. Every day is a battle. (laughs) The Christian life is a call to arms. You're enlisted in Christ's army. You have battles to fight every day. There are attacks thrown your way. There are temptations that you will have to overcome. There are trials that you'll need to endure. There's suffering that takes place in the Christian life. It's not a walk through the park. It's not all daisies, roses, and butterflies. This is war. We are engaged in a spiritual war. You know, the Apostle Paul didn't say at the end of his life, I lived a good life. I bought a house in the suburbs. I voted conservative. I raised the picture-perfect, Instagrammable family. No, what did he say? He said, I fought the good fight. Christian, this is war. And our day only gets darker. The enemy only gets stronger. There's more manifestations we see in the world and in society that this is, there's a spiritual war going on. The question for you again is, will you stand? Will you stand today? And in these battles that you face every day, moms in the home with your kids, fathers, husbands at work, whatever your situation, whatever the attack, whether it's trial, suffering, persecution, will you stand? Because I'll tell you, if you can't stand in today's battles, how do you expect to stand when the fire really gets hot? And the persecution really comes. So we need to prepare. We need to prepare for war. And for that, I'd like us to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. So open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to look at verses 10 to 13 this morning. Paul prepares us for war. Paul, the author of the book of Ephesians. I want to give you some context before we get to our passage. Really... Paul has taken his listeners to the summit of their salvation. The first half of Ephesians is a mountainous testimony of God's saving grace. In chapter 1, you see heaven's perspective of our salvation, our redemption. In chapter 2, we get the human perspective, what God did in our lives. In chapter 3, I like to call it a, a salvation appendix. He provides clarification and purpose behind the mystery of God's salvation. And then the second half of Ephesians, chapters 4, 5, and 6, gets real practical. Okay, in light of this mountain of salvation, how will you then live your life? The key transition is in chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. In other words, you see this mountain of salvation? Yeah, live your life in such a way that it measures up. That you live out this incredible salvation that the Lord has worked in your life. So chapter 4 focuses on church life. 
chapter 5 focuses on your walk, your everyday habits, conversations. The end of 5, beginning of 6, focuses on the family, no pun intended. And then chapter 6, 10, it is the beginning of Paul's final charge. And you can feel the angst in his voice, the urgency here. What's the first word of verse 10? Finally. This is what he's been building towards, getting to. Finally, Christian, here are some important instructions for us. So let's read the passage. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, and I'm going to be reading out of the ESV version. I know I've, I've converted to the dark side. Might not be invited back after that, but this is the version Peter used. Okay, Paul used NASB. Here's, okay, all right, anyways. 6.10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Let's pray. Father, we come to you as just weak people. We are weak, Lord. We are sinners, and, and we fail tests every day. We succumb to temptation every day. But you are a strong God. You are a strong Savior, Lord, and I pray that you would give us strength today. Give us strength to stand in this evil day we live in. Prepare us for war, Lord. Help us to not be apathetic, to be lazy, but to be engaged in the fight, the fight of our faith. Help Faith Bible Church this morning, Lord. Help us all to apply this text. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Three points to my outline, very simple. Number one, be strong in Christ. Be strong in Christ. You see the command in the text right there in verse 10? Be strong. Now, this is an interesting command. Two things I like to point out. First is that it's plural. Do you know that over two-thirds of the commands in the New Testament are plural commands, and most of them written to churches? You know what that tells us? Is that in order to live the Christian life, to be prepared for this war, we need to do it together. We need to do this together. We need to prepare for war together. I would argue that you cannot stand strong in your faith without the church, without brothers and sisters in Christ that are called to arms with you. This is a plural command for us to obey together. The second interesting aspect of this command is that it is a present passive imperative, which tells you this. Paul is commanding the Ephesians to do something that has to be done to them. Kind of interesting. You could translate this, be strengthened 
You know what that tells us? It tells us that Paul is not saying, hey, muster up the courage within yourself. Find strength within you. No, Paul's saying there, you need to find strength outside of you. You need to be strengthened by someone else. I'll often tell my kids, especially my son, when he's scared of the dark or when he's fallen down, he's whining a little bit, I'll say, son, be strong. Be strong. Pick yourself up, dust it off, and be strong. And what I mean is, hey, find some kind of strength within you. Be courageous, son. I thought the other day, is that biblical? Is that helping my son to trust one day in the Heavenly Father, to trust one day in a stronger Savior? Is there something better that I could tell my son rather than just figure it out on your own? Muster up the strength within yourself. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying muster up your strength. Find the courage to stand. He says the power source is outside of you. Where is the power sourced? The passage tells us pretty plainly, clearly. Be strong in who? In the Lord. And in the strength of His might, that's the power source. There's the power plant for the Christian. It's not in you, it's in Him. Jesus Christ, the ultimate warrior, the ultimate Savior, the champion. And by the way, praise God for that, Christian. Praise God that it doesn't depend on you. Because, listen, if it was dependent on our own strength, our own courage, every single one of us would fail. All of us would succumb to temptation. We would succumb to the trial. We would succumb to the test, the attack. Praise God that the strength isn't in us, it's in Christ, the object of our faith, our Savior. Oh, that is so good. See, it's, it's His power that holds me fast. We sung about that. His power infuses me. I can stand, I can fight, I can be strong, not because of me, but because of Him, my Savior. You know, I take my kids to the beach. And we live closer to Orange County now, so we go to Orange County beaches. I don't know if you're familiar with Orange County beaches, but a lot of them have shore break. And it's bad, it's kind of scary. When the surf is big, man, that shore break can really take you out. My kids, they're five, three, they can't stand in the shore break. Even if they're, you know, one foot, two foot waves, those waves will crash over them and suck them right out to sea. So what do I do? I go with them up to the water and I'm holding them. I'm either holding them in my arms or I'm wrapped around their little stomachs. And I say, listen, daddy will not let you go. Trust daddy. You can be strong with me. Christian, that is the Christian life. Clinging to Christ. The strength isn't in you, it is in Him, the rock of ages. Listen to these passages as I read them. The the strength in the Lord is is a theme of Scripture. And I want you to notice where the source of strength is in these texts. Or whenever the Lord says, be strong, notice the promise that is always attached to it. So Exodus 15, 2. The Lord is my what? Strength. 
and my song. He has become my salvation. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for here's the promise, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, I will strengthen you. I will uphold you, or sorry, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Deuteronomy 24, the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory. And then here's the famous text in Scripture, Joshua. We think of Joshua, the conquering, you know, hero, the people of Israel taking the men to the land of Canaan. But where was Joshua's source of strength? Here it is, Joshua 1.9. Be strong and courageous. We like that part. Don't forget the promise that's attached. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is what? With you. Joshua, on his own two feet, was not strong, not courageous, not anything to write home about, not impressive, but because God was with him, he had victory. Same goes for the story of David and Goliath in the Old Testament. It's not a story about little guys beating up big guys. It's a story about sovereign God being with this little man and having victory over this big man. It is God's strength, God's strength that we must rely on, we must cling to. True power in the Christian life is in the arms of God. And you might ask, what kind of power is this, Morgan? What kind of power holds me fast? How strong is God? I'd like to take you to the precipice of power this morning, if I can. Behind me is a picture of Nazare, Portugal. And that big blob is a wave. <laughs> the waves at Nazareth are, are the biggest known to man as far as, you know, I know. These waves roll in at 70 feet, 80 feet, some 100 feet tall. Massive waves. Just to give you perspective, these waves can swallow a five-story building. Incredible displays of power. And so every year, there's this lighthouse at the edge of this these cliffs and people go and watch that little speck that surfer surfers ride these waves incredible displays of power really the waves are the impressive thing christian i want to i want to take you to the lighthouse of god's power i want to show you an incredible display of power that is immeasurable power that feet cannot measure that miles cannot count up to kilometers. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1.19. Christian, here is the source of your power. It is in the resurrected and ascended Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.19. Paul prays that you may know. 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? It's immeasurable. Don't try to take human metrics to God's power. It's not able to be measured. And then look at the next phrase, remarkable. It is toward us who believe. Who is this power directed towards, Christian? 
you. This is the power that has worked in your life, that holds you fast. Here it is. What is this display of power? It is according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things under His feet, gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Here's your power plant, Christian. It is the resurrecting, ascending, preeminent, totally secure power of Christ who sits at the right hand of God. Your anchor is in the rock of ages. Your anchor is in the throne of heaven. Jesus holds the rope to your life. And that should strengthen you. That ought to give you courage. That ought to give you strength. When life gets hard, Christ holds the rope and He reigns supreme. When the trial hit, when the temptation comes, my Lord is at the right hand of the Father. He reigns supreme. He holds the rope. He has your salvation secure in Him. Because Christ raised from the dead, Christian, because He's ascended to the right hand of the Father, guess what? Physical death isn't the end for you. It's the beginning. COVID could take your life. Terrorists can attack and kill you. But you know what they can't take? Your eternal life. Your position with Christ. He's your strength. That is what will strengthen you, give you courage and bravery to stand when the moment counts. Every day, trust in Christ, the rock of ages. Knowing that He holds the rope in my life, I could stand with Him in any battle. Knowing that He holds the rope in my life, I can stand with Him through any trial. Knowing that He holds the rope in my life, I can stand with Him against any enemy. Christian, where's your strength? Are you relying on yourself, picking yourself up by your own bootstraps? Or are you trusting and clinging to Christ? Lord, King of kings, whatever happens on this earth, if Christ is truly raised from the dead, ascended at the right hand of the Father, I don't say this to be cute, but it's all going to be okay. Be strong in Christ. Number two, know your enemy. Know your enemy. Back to Ephesians 6, uh, verse 11 and 13, they're pretty similar. So I'm, I'm going to put them together and save them for the last point. But I'd like for us to just look at verse 12. Understand the nature of our war. Get to know our enemy a little bit. The end of verse 11 says that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This is not physical war so much, but it is spiritual. Against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil 
in the heavenly places. Paul repeats the word against five times for emphasis. He's trying to show us here who our real enemy is. Christian, it's important for you to know your enemy. So it's important to know who you fight against or who you stand against. Let me tell you, it's not ultimately a political party. It's not ultimately a politician or big tech or government. Your enemy is not the universities, not even ultimately the Taliban. These are physical forces. Paul says our fight is against spiritual ones. Now that is not to say that maybe some of these spiritual forces, we can only speculate, may be operated by the greater spiritual force behind it. That could be the case. Or we could also understand that the world is just filled with sinners. And sinners sin, do bad things. We got to understand our greatest enemy though, we need to exercise biblical discernment, is not the physical world, but it is the spiritual force. The devil, Satan, and his army. This is a formidable foe. So let's understand our enemy. Let's get into the mind of the enemy for a minute here. We see in the text, he is a schemer against the schemes of the devil. See, Satan is a strategist. And he's always working in this. When it seems quiet in the world, when it seems like, well, the world's at peace, things are going well, you know, everything's great. Maybe for you it was the 70s or the 80s, right? You're like, oh man, everything seems to be going well. The the devil was working. He was not silent or sitting on his hands during those years. He's a strategist. He's moving. He's playing the long game and the short game. And he's been at that for 6,000 plus years. We also see in the text here that it's not a one-man army. It's not just the devil. But he has legions of angels, spiritual rulers, authorities, and powers. He has an army. He has divisions, ranks even. We see an interesting note in, in Daniel chapter 10. The angel who comes and ministers to Daniel told him that he was stopped up in a battle against the prince of Persia the prince of the Persian Empire. And what he's talking about is demonic warfare there. There were demons assigned to the world empire of Persia. That's interesting. That maybe tells us a little bit something. Man, there are spiritual forces behind these physical forces that we see in the world. They're working. They're active. Nothing happens by accident, but according to his strategy and plan. I mean, do you think what's happening in Afghanistan was just a a happy coincidence for the evil one? Do you think the attacks that we've been facing in the church for the past two years is just a hand that fell in his favor? No, there's an enemy working here. He's strategizing to devour people, to tear apart the church, to ruin culture, to send it dive-bombing into immoral oblivion. Look at what the enemy does. 2 Corinthians 4.4 He is blinding the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Oh, he's so happy that we're distracted. He's so happy that churches are distracted from their mission because that means more people will not hear the true gospel. 
1 Peter 5.8 says he's an adversary, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He doesn't want what's best for you. He wants to devour you. John 8.44 tells us he was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth. There's no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of lies. Where do you think all these lies come from? An enemy who is the father of them. Sometimes he disguises himself as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians 11, 14. We know, because of Ephesians 6, he's always throwing flaming darts. Trying to knock you down. Trying to distract you. Trying to dissuade you from your mission. Now we know, ultimately, he can't take the true church. He can't. Because Christ himself promised, I will build my church and the gates of what? The gates of hell will not overcome it. So he can't take the church, the true church. But he can take down the tares in the church. He could take down the fakes in the church. He could take down culture. He is the prince of the power of the air. He is, 1 John five nineteen says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Oh man, and he would love for us Christians He would love for us to live enslaved to fear. He would love for us to believe the lies. He would love for us to just fight with each other over things that really don't matter, to distract us, to dissuade us from the mission of God, which is to make disciples, to go out in all the world. He would love for you, Christian, to spend three hours or more a day scrolling through your phone doing nothing. Don't sit and watch the world fall apart. Know your enemy. Know that he's on the move. He's active. Discern his attacks and stand and fight against him. You ask Morgan, how do I do that? Practically, give me some, so that I'm I'm under attack. There's a temptation thrown at me, a trial, whatever, suffering. How do I stand strong against the attacks of this formidable foe? Well, we've got to watch him work. We've got to watch our champion work and take notes. Uh, the late, great Kobe Bryant, in an interview with ESPN, he talks about where all his moves on the basketball court came from. And he says, I quote, there isn't a move that hasn't been done before. He said, I stole all my moves from the great players that played before me. He said, I would watch them play and take notes. Oscar Robertson is attacked to the basket. Jerry West in his jump shot. Magic Johnson, his vision and passing ability on the court. He was a student of the game. Watching film, taking notes, applying the same principles to his game. Christian, let's do this. Let's roll the film. Let's watch our champion work and let's take notes when he was attacked by the enemy. There's something we can learn. So I'm going to have the passage up here. I want to look at the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. And I want you to note one preeminent principle in Christ's defense. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hangry. 
No, sorry, that was Morgan. That's Morgan's uh, version of this. He was hungry. Just so you know, I would be done at this point. If I'm hungry, I'm done. Flat on my face, not standing. All right, press on. We're looking at the champion here. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said to him, all these I'll give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. What? For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve. How did Jesus Christ slay the prowling lion? With a sword. With a sword. Jesus three times says, it is written, it is written, it is written. He knew his Bible. Not only because he spoke it, it's his word. Because he's showing us by example even though that this is the defense you need to withstand the attacks of the enemies. You need an essential piece of the armor, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Know this to withstand attack. Read this book every day. Meditate on its truths day and night. You will be like a tree planted by a stream of water. Not like the grass that withers. Know your word. So when the attacks come, the temptation, the trial, the suffering, the persecution, you could stand with Christ on the word of God against your enemy. Know your enemy. Know how to fight him. Know how to stand against him. Know his schemes. Point number three, our last point. Suit up to stand. Suit up to stand. Verses 11 and 13. Say similar things. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Verse 13. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. This is the imagery of a soldier dressed for battle. He has the essential pieces of his armor on. He's ready for the attack. And this is what Paul calls us to do, take up the whole armor of God. You can see in more detail the individual pieces of the armor, verses 14 to 20. If you read through them, You'll see the means of grace, like the Word of God and and prayer, very important to withstand in the evil day. You'll see the essential truths of the gospel we have to preach to ourselves, like truth, righteousness, salvation, peace, faith. Put the pieces together, though. for For the sake of our text today, I want you to see He emphasizes, put on the whole armor of God. You put those pieces together, who do you see? 
Jesus Christ. See, Paul summarized this whole section of Ephesians in Romans chapter 13. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's skip to the end here. <laughs> Let's just give you the summary. Put on the Lord Jesus. What does that mean for you, Christian? It means follow him. Walk like he walked. Talk like he talked. Follow his example. Trust in him. Cling to him with all your heart, with all your life. And you'll be able to stand. Because isn't Jesus the way, the truth, and the life? Isn't Jesus the righteousness from God that depends on faith? Isn't Jesus... The Prince of Peace who came and preached the Gospel of Peace, Ephesians 2. Isn't Jesus the salvation that we obtained through Him? Jesus is the Word that became flesh. Put on Christ. Let me give you a kickstart. We don't even need to get into verses 14 to 17 this morning for you to start putting on the armor of God. That, it just follow Jesus. Read about Him imitate him and do as he does to prepare against your enemy and what does the armor prepare you for what's the point christian what's the goal of the christian life is it to attack the enemy is it to charge flank left flank right pursue now the goal is simple really the goal is that we would just stand. You see that emphasized in the text? Verse 11, that you may be able to stand. Verse 13, that you may be able to withstand. Having done all, to stand firm. The next verse, stand therefore. Christian, your goal is to stand and to not fall down. To not be knocked down. You don't have to go finding the enemy. He'll find you and attack you through a variety of ways. You just need to stand in the strength of Jesus Christ. Bottom line, you don't want a glass jaw spiritually. And you know what a glass jaw is, and it's a boxing phrase. If you have a, a glass jaw, then you have a weak chin, a little pop to the chin, and you can be easily knocked out. You don't want that as a Christian. Confession here, I have a glass jaw, physically. Okay, I've been knocked out three times in my life. Not in fights, all in football, but I'm just easy to knock out. See, that's why I have a motorcycle helmet right next to my bed. If an intruder comes in, helmet goes on first. Because if he gets me across the chin, I'm done. We don't want to have glass jaws spiritually. Too many Christians have them. They can't take hits. They're easily offended. They're easily tempted. They're easily tested. They, they easily give in. They're easily knocked down, pushed over, and pinned to the ground. This is a wrestle. Verse 12 uses the word wrestle. This is a picture of hand-to-hand -hand combat. It's when somebody gets past the comfort zone, and you're, you're touching them. They're touching you, and their goal is to pin you to the ground. But Christian, this is spiritual jujitsu. You don't want to be on the ground. You want to be the man or the woman on top standing against your enemy, not blindsided by the unforeseen attack, not tripping over your own feet, not knocked down, 
holding your ground, Christian. That's your goal, is to stay standing. I want to highlight just at the end here one little phrase. Look at the end of verse 13. Have you done all to stand firm? Look what Paul says. Having done all to stand firm. To what extent have you gone, Christian, so that you would stand firm in this war? In your struggle against sin, have you resisted to the point of shedding blood? Hebrews 12.4. Have you removed all opportunities for the enemy in your life? Ephesians 4.27. Have you radically removed temptation in your life? Matthew chapter 5. Are you making every effort to work out your salvation with fear and trembling to supplement your faith? 2 Peter 1, Philippians. Are you diligently pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, 1 Timothy 6. Are you night and day meditating on the word of God? Psalm 1. What are you doing to fight the good fight of faith? How far, to what extent are you willing to push yourself, Christian, to cling to Christ and stand strong in Him? Oh, there's a variety of attacks today, Christian. We, we're not just waiting for the big one to come, the big day of persecution. There are attacks that you face every day. There are battles you fight. I was just <clears throat> talking with a, a member of our church. Her name's Gail. She's an older saint. She just lost her son-in-law to COVID. And I'm talking with Gail after service and praying with her and just trying to encourage her, and she looks up at me with with tears in her eyes. She says, Morgan, I don't know why God allowed this to happen, but I still trust him. There's a saint who's standing amidst a difficult trial and a difficult test. Her trust is still in Christ. She's clinging to the rock. That's a kind of attack that you can face. I have another believer in my congregation, new believer in Christ. It's incredible. His wife has been praying for his salvation for years. He finally got saved about a month ago. And it's amazing to see the transformation in his life. He's reading his Bible every day. He's making every effort to be at church. His whole personality has changed. He was baptized two weeks ago at our church. It's just awesome. Well, with his work schedule, it's been difficult for him to get every Sunday off. He tries his best, but there are some Sundays he still has to work. He's still adjusting that. So there was one Sunday when his wife and his kids went to church, but he had to work. And some guy came up to him, or sorry, came up to his wife and said, where's your husband? And she tried to gently explain to him, well, you know, he's just, you know, trying to work his work schedule out so he can be here on Sundays. He couldn't make it today. The guy said, what a pagan, and walked away. Now, insensitive to say the least, right? At the most, that was just a hurtful comment. And the wife came up to me after service. She was distraught. She was like, I can't believe he said that to me. If he were to say that to my husband, I think something like that would push him away. 
he would never come back to church. And by the way, I've heard people leave church for much less comments, less severe comments. But I told this woman, I said, Teresa, just trust the Lord. I said, trust the Lord. If the Lord has him, he'll keep him. Sure enough, she goes, well, I'm going to go home and tell him what happened because I don't want this guy to be the one who tells him. So I said, okay, that's fine. So she went home and told her husband. She told him what the guy said. And her husband said, and I quote, Teresa, do you think a comment like that is going to push me away from Christ? No way. He said, in fact, I want you to invite that family over for dinner tomorrow night. We're going to have them in our home. And I want to show them that my life is different. There's a believer who stood, who stood a test, who stood an attack, an attack that a lot of people would leave a church over. He stood the test, strong in his faith in Christ. Christian, what tests are hitting you today, this week? Battles that you have to face and fight, temptations, trials. Will you stand? When the Lord comes back, will he find Faith Bible Church standing together in his strength? Because that's the only way we'll make it. Bibles in our hands, maybe some scars, but we're still standing in this evil day. Will you stand, Christian? This is war. Be strong. Know your enemy. Get ready to stand. Let me pray. Father, we come to you because you are our source of strength. Your son, Jesus Christ, is the ultimate warrior, the champion, who lived the perfect life we couldn't live, who died on the cross in our place, who declared final victory over sin and death by raising from the dead and ascending to the right hand with all power and authority over everything. If that is true, God, then we have, we have the strength to stand. We can stand. We can endure this evil day because of who Christ is and what He's done. And we cling to Him. I pray for somebody in this room. They know who they are. They've not yet trusted in Christ. Whatever sin, whatever encumbrance is holding them back from trusting in Christ, I pray that you would break their heart today, that they would cling to Christ. They would understand for the first time the incredible power and source of strength that is in him. The love, the peace, the joy, the hope that comes from having a relationship with Jesus. I pray for those of us who are saved and know the power of Christ that has transformed our life. May we cling to that power daily. Trust you daily, Lord, in order to fight this fight and stand in this war. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.